0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Morning, everybody. It is uh, really good to be here. I'm going to kind of jump in pretty quick here, but let's open in a word of prayer. Father, uh, thank you for the honor it is to be here to speak on your behalf, to, to share what really isn't my story, uh, but is your story in me. And I pray, Father, that as I do, that there would be some who perhaps are inspired, some who are perhaps touched, some who perhaps uh, had their curiosity piqued, to know just what it is to know you, to live a life that is directed by you, to follow in your footsteps as best as we can. I pray, Father, that as we open your word, as I share your story in me, that uh, it would be a blessing to us all, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, a couple of things to get out of the way at the beginning. Uh, first of all, uh, indeed, I am honored and privileged to be up here. I know this is a sacred place that God honors, and it's, uh, it's humbling to be up here. But I also want you to know that I'm now here and available to serve you, and that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't uh, hesitate to contact our pastoral care team, of which I am fortunate to be a part I can tell you in the short two weeks that I've been here uh, that they are marvelous people in that pastoral care team. They, they exude, they just can't help be compassionate, and so it's my fortune, frankly, to get into my office and just watch the compassion streaming by the door. All I have to do is put my hand out and grab some every so often, and I've got all I need. They, they are amazing people, and I would uh, commend them to you, as indeed are all the staff who you might expect I've had more opportunity to meet in two weeks than all the rest of you. Uh, they're just amazing. They've helped me immensely, and I'm here to serve you. My task today is to let you get to know me a bit, so I might as well start with a, a, a little bit of a kind of warning about my name. First of all, don't feel bad. My name is Lorne. Don't feel bad sending something for Lorne. <laughs> it's, I don't, I, it's not going to be sad, right? I, I, I understand that. The second part is that my name has no hard consonants in it. Lorne, I get Norm, I get Warren, and all of you Norms and Warrens out there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, But beyond that, it's very, very, in fact, uncomfortably close to another name we use here all the time. So if you happen to be praying, and I'm in the vicinity, and you say something like, Oh, Lord, (laughs) and I respond... I'm not on some kind of megalomaniac maniac ego trip. Uh, it's just these older ears. I don't have a God complex, uh, but I do have a complex God whom I love and I worship. Now, first service yesterday, uh, right after the first service, a fellow came up to me and he said, You know, I was sitting a few rows behind you and I looked over and I said, Who's that 35 year old guy? <laughs> He's a doctor. I said, I love this church. When i got up here he realized his mistake yeah and thanks to chris for pointing that out <laughs> there is another sidebar that i'd like to add in here which is to fill a, fulfill a promise i made to myself if i ever found myself up here in front of all you great people and that's simply to say and the words don't cut the mustard but they're all that's there thank you thank you for being a shining light Thank you that not just here in Steinbeck, but around the world now through Church Renewal, you are having a huge impact on people's lives. I've had the distinct privilege to be in the first group of pastors to be mentored under Church Renewal by by Pastor Ray, and have now sat under his leadership through that context for uh, many, many years. My wife, Jennifer, and I were involved uh, by our son, Zach, who you all know here, uh, some 10 years ago, to attend what is now called Set Free. I think my heel marks are still in the parking lot at Pinawa, just being dragged in. Come on, this will be fun. No, it won't, come on. (laughs) But let me tell you, it was the beginning of a change in my heart, a change In our collective heart at the Church of Pine Ridge, where I was pastor, a renewal that has led us now into there, some nine-set-freeze, three-hearing-gods, and an end-times-in-a-pair... It continues to sweep through our church, let me say, and that is so fantastic. And uh, you know, a thought occurred to me, Uh, there were some 20 here from Pine Ridge last night to kind of cheer me on. I thought, wouldn't it be great to get all 200 people, all 200 people of Pine Ridge, of which there's only about 250, uh, 300, get up here on stage and thank you. That would have been a little awkward on Sunday morning because they're in church themselves right now, right? So, uh, but suffice it to say, uh, we wouldn't be where we are without church renewal. And uh, here's the thing. I know that these resources have helped churches all, of all sizes all over the world, no question. But let me take you into the world that I just left. I was the lead pastor, and there were four of us on staff, period. And I was the only one on staff scheduled to speak regularly, so that would often amount to 40 to 45 uh, messages per year. And I also led a midweek study for seven of those 12 months. Last night, the, you know, I could see my Pine Ridge people kind of going like, you know, get on with it, buddy. Um, I can't begin to tell you, though, what a gift that is to have church renewal resources at your fingertips, like available to churches that just cannot have any other means of, of pulling that together. There just isn't any time left to devote to study, to the preparation, to all the work that goes into it behind the scenes, to have it in a relatively small church where you're already maxed out. But as we've seen, it's just so vital, and so I just want to say thank you. In addition to that, there's been a number of shared connections that we've enjoyed with you uh, for obvious reasons. One of them is Zach. Uh, We have pictures of him hardly being able to walk, just barely being able to stand, standing in my cowboy boots, which were over his knees, and holding a toy guitar in his hand trying to do Garth Brooks. I'm not sure how many of you know this, and of course I asked Zach if I could say this. Zach has a lung disease called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It's limited his breathing capacity, still there, to less than half of what you and I enjoy. One day in the first church I was pastoring, Zach was going to be leading the worship team during the service, and to our surprise, just before it began, Zach's pediatrician during his early critical years came in. He had no idea that we were even connected to this church. He was just walking in for the first time. And when Jennifer told him he'd picked the right day to come because Zach was going to be on stage singing, he responded simply with, Zach, singing? That's impossible. He can't breathe that well. But he was amazed when he heard Zach. And I hope from now on you will be amazed and give God the glory every time you hear him sing. You've been hearing that for a dozen years here. Isn't God great? I learned a couple of valuable lessons then and there. God is so big, so mighty, so awesome. He always has the last word, and to be honest sometimes, I think it's accompanied by a little like, uh, you know, divine chuckle up there when through him we do what seems impossible. I met Pastor Tom when he was in the midst of university courses for an education degree, as I recall. And when, during the course of our conversation over coffee, I found out that he loved junior high youth, I'd never met anybody who loved junior high youth before, I was sold, and shortly thereafter, he came to work with me at the church that I was the lead pastor of. Attending that church were a few youth about that youth kind of age that have also ended up on staff here, Adam Jarvis, and Cody gets. And I'm sure Cody coincidentally left the staff just before I started. I'm sure of that. <laughs> Not to mention, actually, the, the blessing that the School of Ministers have been. We've sent a number of our students through. Uh, right now, I think there's three enrolled, plus one who's in third year. And uh, we have one third year SOM grad uh, who is now our youth pastor at Pine Ridge. You know, I'm, Forgive me when I do the we and our and stuff. I'm still transitioning pretty soon. I'll be saying we here and there and all that stuff, but you know what I'm saying here. Um, We have uh, Josh Fraser, who went through the three years here, and we have, as his assistant, uh, Brett, who is currently in third year SOM here. So Southland's had a huge impact on our church. I know it hasn't come without hard work and sacrificial giving on your part, and I just want to give you all that I can in a heartfelt thank you for all of this and so much more. From personal experience, I can tell you that your participation, your prayers, your support are making a huge difference. So, on to a little bit about us. Jennifer, uh, my wife, and I were born in Calgary, both of us. Her family goes back at least three generations there, which is a little bit unusual for Calgary. My parents were both from Manitoba, uh, met in Calgary. My dad was from Winnipeg, and occasionally, as, as his family went back and forth, England, depending on which year it was, and my mother from a farm near Clandeboy on the way up to uh, Winnipeg Beach. And that farm was the apple of my eye. It was my heart's desire I never wanted to be anything else other than a farmer. My mother said the very first sentence I put together was, where'd the cow go? <laughs> I took agriculture at the U of M to be close to the family farm, and it was to that farm that we eventually moved, and where our two sons, Zach being the youngest and Matt being the older one, and I do that figuratively, who is now a high school math teacher uh, back in Selkirk at the school that he attended. All that stuff and more you can get from us as we get to know you better over to the time to come. But I want to focus today in on when our lives, more specifically, I guess my life, intersects in these big God moments uh, with God. Preparing for this has led me, as you might expect, to do a lot of reflection, a lot of looking back, and I've come to realize that there are kind of two ways that we can think about the differences that, you know, the impact that God has had on our life, what knowing God uh, means and, and how that's changed us. As we think about our lives, the tendency, of course, the first kind of knee-jerk reaction is to lay down our lives as sort of a line graph, right? And there's high points and low points. There's there's peaks that, whoa, I was fan- oh, that wasn't so great, valleys, and so on. And I'm sure every one of you could do that if I give you a piece of paper and said just sort of graph out your life. What first comes to mind for me are moments when God touched my life, changed me, shaped me, yes, corrected me, challenged me, and the list goes on, and it extends, of course, into my family. The medical community told us early on in each of our sons, both Zach's and Matt's lives, that the odds were against their survival, but God has certainly had the last word there. A phrase has been coined for these kind of moments in your life. It's defining moments, defining moments, moments with God that were significant in defining who you are, your character, your gifts, your passions. An obvious example of this would be the moment when we enter into that real-life, vital, ongoing relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. We call that experience salvation, for it's when, when God saves us from the train wreck we were heading to and instead adopts us as his children, into his family, as we trust in Jesus' work on the cross and uh, to forgive us and to reconcile us to this holy, perfect God. At the risk of sounding really, really old now, it was in the mid-70s when I was home from university, visiting my family in Calgary, washing my dad's car out on the driveway on a Sunday afternoon when a girl who was five years younger than I was and who I only knew as a familiar face in the neighborhood walked up to me had to introduce herself, and right there on the spot, cold turkey, invited me to her baptism that night. I didn't know what a baptism was. Honestly, I had no idea. I, she said, we're going to have a, a celebration afterwards. I thought, how bad can it be? My family was and still is immersed in a cult called Christian Science. Not to be confused with Scientology, but let me just say, sort of blanket coverage here, neither one of those cults have anything to do with Christianity and certainly nothing to do with science, okay? Yeah. (laughs) I was taught that people like Billy Graham were spreading lies and misconceptions and to avoid them at all costs. That's how I was raised. I don't know why I said I would come to her baptism. I can only believe that it was God, but I did. And a few hours later, I found myself rushing in and realizing the great seats in the church were still available down at the front. (laughs) You know what? I got to commend you. This is pretty. This is unusual. This is great. But uh, in general, I'm not sure why that is, but we fill the back seats up first in a church. But if it's anything else we want to go to, we're up in front. Just, say, just saying, okay? I ran down. I sat there. Nobody, even the family that I came with, didn't come with me. (laughs) I sat there like nobody back for about four rows. I thought everybody was, I'm front and center, like smack dab in the center. I'm sure everybody's looking at the back of my head, and what is that crazy guy doing sitting down there? These seats must be reserved for something really important. Nope. I sat there. And uh, I want to take now, just in this moment, because I was watching these people come up, and they had to walk literally up steps and then go down steps into the tank and then back up the other way and out again. And uh, I just thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, what are these people doing? They're t- like, if you're going to get in a hot tub, stay there for a while, right? <laughs> but I have to take you on a little side trip here now. Because there was another factor at work here while this was starting to unfold. You see, Christian science holds to the King James Version of the Bible, but only small little portions thereof. Their founder said she had been given a revelation that much of the Bible had been tampered with and that she alone... Those are big warning signs. When you ever hear that, she alone knew what parts were reliable and which parts you should completely ignore. In fact, we were actively discouraged from reading any kind of passage, like scripture, you know, verses strung together, on our own. However, she claimed to know the truth. She actually claimed she was the truth, and in support of her, uh, her, her idea of that. Written in huge script across the basement wall where all the Sunday school classes were sort of held in open air concept was John 8.32. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Yeah. So now I've seen this for uh, probably 15 years growing up in in this Christian science cult. And I've seen it emblazoned across the whole wall like the letters were probably larger than I am. And now I'm there, and now the girl who invited me comes up to be baptized. And she gets up, and she trips over the last step, and she baptizes herself. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much the response she got, too. She did virtually baptize herself. She came up sputtering. The pastor who's in the tank is laughing and kind of getting up. And he says, you know, okay, go ahead. You know, read your testimony, your story. And she looks down for a moment at her cards, and she goes, it's gone. She turns her cards like this, and you can just see the blue running down the page. It's all washed away in the tank. I mean, that's a whole new thing for washing away in the tank, right? (laughs) But she... To her credit, to her everlasting credit, is completely unflustered by all of this. And she says simply, Well, I don't really need that because I'm here simply to tell you what Jesus means to me. And time stopped for me, and she did. And the entire time she's talking on this kind of background scroll, this background loop in my head, is John eight thirty two: You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The entire time she's talking. And I recognize in my heart, in my soul, that the words she is saying about what Jesus means to her have a ring of truth in them that I can't ignore. And a relationship with Jesus, certainly, that I knew nothing about. please. Please don't ever doubt the power of God's Word, even written in the basement wall of a cult. Please don't ever doubt the power of God's Word. It's amazing. And don't ever question whether you should share your story with someone. It mattered to me. I think it will matter to others if they hear your story. I asked that girl, as we drove back to her place, if we could talk about what she'd said some more. And so we spent the rest of the evening doing that. We went on a walk, and she missed her entire celebration to do that with me. But at the end of that evening, she said, I could have the same relationship with Jesus that she did if I simply invited Jesus into my heart, into my life, and was prepared to accept his free gift of grace and salvation. And I did exactly that that night, and my life was forever changed. That's a defining moment, right? That's a defining moment. I was no longer a 21-year-old cultist. I was a treasured child of the Most High God. Yeah. What's better than that? God graced me. There is something just kind of follows right along with that. God graced me with a moment of brilliance three years later when I asked that same girl to marry me, and that same brilliance must have blinded her because she said yes. (laughs) That's over 40 years ago now. Another defining moment years later came when Jennifer and I were giving our testimonies in order to join the church we were attending in Winnipeg. And for the last time, or sorry, for the first time I heard God speak to me internally. Now, sometimes I know some people hear like and you know, it's a group that hears, but it was internal for me. And it was as clear as anything I've ever heard externally and it was completely unexpected. God said to me simply, and I quote, "Lauren, these are your people and I want you to love them." I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't, had no idea. The last thing on my mind was to kind of go in that direction, but it changed the trajectory of my life. It changed the definition of my life that night. And in that moment, I exchanged the herd I had back on the farm for a flock that I had in front of me. I was a shepherd. There's been so many, so many other times like that that I could tell you about, but I can't explain to you how that happened. I can't explain to you what happened in that moment, but something amazing happened when I looked up from, I was still reading my testimony, when I looked up I loved every person that I faced and I couldn't understand it. Still don't begin to kind of get the whole point of it. But for our purposes today, I want to talk about something that kind of goes beyond that, right? I want to talk about something that kind of goes beyond our defining moments into our, what I'm going to coin the phrase, redefining moments. Moments when we kind of get a bigger picture of who God is. Defining moments are kind of as God speaks into our lives. I'm just coining the phrase here. Don't. You don't go crazy with redefining, but for redefining moments, it's kind of when we get a bigger picture, when we start to redefine in our experience who God is. what God wants me to do. And in that moment, I had both of those experiences. I had this experience of God speaking into my life and telling me that, you know, the direction of your life has changed. Well, that was a defining moment. But at the same time, I looked up and loved everybody and knew what God wanted me to do. And that and I had a truly bigger picture of God in that moment. Whoa, you can you can you can do this. You know, you can actually, you know, work in people's lives like this. You can speak into our lives like this. Wow, I had you in a box. And when we left the church that evening, I looked back in the rearview mirror with a look that I'd always reserved for one place and one place only, my farm, the desire of my heart. In one fell swoop, God had not only defined the new call that he had on my life, but he gave me a new picture, if you will, a a bigger definition, if you will, for what he can do. He can change your heart. And not only that, he can change your heart's desire. How awesome is that? As I thought about sharing God's story in me with you. It's these redefining moments that stand out, and there are a lot of them in the Bible too. The children of Israel are fleeing Egypt. You know this story probably pretty well. They've got their backs against the sea and no way out, and they're bitterly complaining to Moses that he's only led them out of Egypt to be massacred now in the desert, and how much better off they were as slaves when God intervenes when God, who's been the real one leading his people, don't ever get confused about that, he delivers them in a way that had to. It just had to expand their view of him. He parts the waters, and they walk across on dry land. Now, don't you think, wouldn't you have thought that that impression, that glorious miracle that they're actually walking on, kind of participating in, would give them a view of God that could never be tested, that would never shrink, that could never be diminished? Not so much. There follows a whole series of similar complaints about the water, which God then turns from bitter to sweet, about the lack of food, from which then God rains down quail and and, and, uh, manna from heaven. And they complain about the lack of food variety and so on. Like, it just goes on and on. You get the idea. So it would seem to me that left to our own devices, we have a propensity, particularly when facing something that looks really big, really huge, maybe even insurmountable, we have a propensity to shrink God and give up. We have a propensity to shrink God and run. Skip ahead now, the Philistine army has just slaughtered 30,000 Israelite soldiers in a battle when the armies meet up yet again on opposite sides of a valley. And what the Philistines do now was pretty common in those days. Rather than putting their whole army into battle, armies would choose a champion to go out and taunt and challenge the other army to send out their champion, and then these guys would go at it mano a mano, representing their respective armies. Whoever lost, their whole army either capitulated or retreated. The Philistines had chosen their champion, Goliath, well, so much though so that his name is now in your English dictionary as one who is gigantic or big or huge, right? So let me illustrate this for you a little bit. I I need a volunteer. How about you, young man? (laughs) Young, right? (laughs) Take uh, four steps up. Four steps up. Uh, Wait a minute, that was for Ray Yoder. Go down a step. Okay. This is how tall Goliath really was. We're told he was about nine and a half feet tall and a very, very skilled warrior. Uh, One author has described him as having his PhD in assault and battery. Okay? This, this guy was bad. You know, like, do the face you do when we're late for staff meeting. You know, yeah. <laughs> this guy was mean. He was bad. And he's taunting and he's challenging the Israelite army, send somebody out to fight me. But nobody comes. It says, he also had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a bronze coat of armor weighing 5,000 shekels. Now, I know that's familiar to you. Also, why don't you just turn to your neighbor and tell them what five thousand shekels means in pounds? Go ahead. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened last night too. This was a massive coat of armor. It weighed almost two hundred pounds. Two hundred pounds. Oh, yeah, uh, guys, you want to bring out that armor? We're going to put it on Chris here. I'm kidding. Two hundred pounds. We're told that he just, not only that, this 200 pounds of armor. Can you imagine the bulk of this guy? And, and his spear alone, the point of his spear, just the point, weighed 25 pounds. As much as a 10-pin bowling ball on the end of a spear. Can you imagine? Do you remember that old Jim Crochet song, you know, don't mess around with Jim? This, <laughs> this is Jim. This is Goliath. Now, the obvious guy to face Goliath was King Saul. He stood head and shoulders above Actually, when I stand next to you, I kind of get this. You know, he stood head and shoulders above all the other Israelites, but he wasn't exactly eager to take on Goliath, so he offers a compensation package, a little incentive to the crew. He says, to any soldier in Israel, I'll give great wealth and a lifetime tax-exempt status, and, and I'll let you marry my daughter if you fight Goliath. Obviously, he's not up for father of the year, this guy, right? Right? And I'm sure it was no reflection on his daughter that nobody came up. We'll leave that one alone. (laughs) Just saying. For 40 days, 40 days, almost nonstop, Goliath has been taunting the Israelites on the other side of the valley. But on the 41st day, one little Israelite shepherd named David is going to take on a task that nobody else would. By the way, David's height is never mentioned we're assuming, and most scholars do, that he was average for the height of men that day. You know what that height average was? Five feet, five inches. Ray and I both feel way better now. Like we're above average, Ray and I. Uh, we're in like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, we're good. Uh, but 5'5". Five, five. So, so what I'm trying to picture for you here is that kind of height, sorry, height uh, d- difference that would have faced, in reality, would have faced David walking up against Goliath. This idea, you know, like, okay, he's big. He's really big, right? So on this 41st day, the history of Saul, the history of Goliath, obviously, the history of David and Israel would change forever because of this skinny little shepherd boy, five foot five tall, and more importantly, his God. His father sends him to the impending battle with food for his brothers who were already there as part of the army. And to cut to the chase, David decides it's up to him to take on this trash-talking, God-dishonoring Philistine, and so he does. In the climax of the whole story, David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Ever said that to yourself when you're facing Goliath? You come against me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. And it goes on to say, the battle's not the Lord. We, Lord's. We sang about that. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. And that's exactly what happens. So if you want, you know, I'm just skirting over the story. If you want to see how David gets ahead. <laughs> and for those of you who don't understand that, go home, read 1 Samuel 17. And then you'll have a little smile, I think. But here's the point I want to get at. I don't know what you face today i do not know this but i know this about it it's probably in the category of a giant in your life it's probably in the category even of a giant with armor and a spear and it's nothing that the lord god of israel our god can't handle how did david know this going in like do you think it just like i got it see god had been giving him redefining moments as a shepherd all those years, David was on his own guarding sheep. God was growing him, giving him a bigger picture of himself to the point that when Saul tried to dismiss David, as like, you're just a kid. You can't fight Goliath. David tells him, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it. And you know what they struck with? With their rods. And this is an authentic, straight from Israel and the shepherd there, Rod. Now you know the crook is the staff. You know, and that's what they use for the sheep. That was a comforting kind of thing. This is what they used against their enemies, the shepherds. This is not like long-distance rifle kind of you know contact with a lion or a bear, right? I mean, this is up close and personal. This is actually just one piece of wood. It's a it's a tree that grows there, and the branches kind of come out in little things like this, and they just chop them off, and they got a pretty nice weapon and. It so far, it's kept anybody from coming up on stage with me. So, <laughs> That's what they would use. So he says, you, can't, you know, I, I, I went after these guys. When they came, I went after it, I struck it, I rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armors of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine as well. David could have run, right, in those instances. The sheep weren't about to tell. They were feeling pretty sheepish about it, actually. They weren't, they weren't, going, to, they weren't going to tell. They weren't going to fight. But David stayed and David fought. And David learned just how great and big and mighty God is. Notice David never in there says, I learned. I learned that I could defeat the lions and the bears. I learned how to do it. Excuse me. (coughs) No, it's all about God. God. I learned that God who delivered me from the lions and the bears would deliver me in any challenge that comes before me. And I want to tell you something, friends. You can hear God is more than able a thousand times. You can read nothing is impossible with God all you want, but you will only come to believe it and know it when you test it out in real life in your life and you conquer the giants. Maybe you have a difficult project at work and you procrastinate and you bail or you you hide in the, the closet or something. Or you could pray, God, with your help, I'm going after that bear and your picture of God will grow. I guarantee it. Maybe you face a parenting challenge. There's a, a behavioral trend in one of your children, and it's going the wrong direction, but it's going to take energy, and it's going to take prayer, and it's going to take time to confront it, and there's a part of you that's tempted to not do it, to kind of take the easy route out and, and, and just ignore it, perhaps, or, or just leave it. And, you know, a lot of people do that, I'm sad to say. Or you could say, God, with your help, I'm going after this lion and your view of God will grow. Maybe you have a grumpy spouse. You could pretend not to notice, or you could pray, God, with your help, I'm going after that bear. (laughs) It was in everyday moments when somebody was watching in an unglamorous job. The low of the low jobs on the totem pole was a shepherd. It was in these unglamorous moments all by himself that God built into David this unshakable image of just how big and mighty and awesome he is. And you know what? He wants to do the same thing in each one of us. God began growing and redefining David's image of him long before God, long before Goliath and this 41st day, right? We have this misguided idea, you see, that when we face our moment of crisis, when we come upon Goliath in our path, and honestly, every one of us will, that in that moment, we will suddenly have a clear view of just how big and awesome God is, and we will stand. It doesn't happen that way. The truth is, if you wait until you're facing your Goliath, it probably won't go too well, unlike how well it's been going for our volunteer on stage here. You're just doing great. Thank you. (laughs) And just in case you're thinking this is kind of, you know, Fine, Lauren, but didn't really happen. Nobody's really that tall. If you could lower yourself about six inches, just kind of just squat for a second, six inches down. Good. Now I'll just, anybody want coffee? No. We're not doing that, but this is the height of the tallest man who's in recent, in the 20th century. This is the height of the tallest man in the 20th century. He lived in the 40s and the 50s. Go down another three inches. Another three inches. I may never get to do this again, right? But (laughs) that's the that's the height of a man who's living right now in Turkey. Like we're talking like six to eight inches difference. (laughs) We're talking like six to eight inches difference between these guys and Goliath. Like we're not talking about somebody who was like, okay, he was three stories high and that never gonna happen, right? It happened. It happened. And it's not so far out of the, out of the realm of possibility. Uh, let's thank our volunteer and let him get down, would you? <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, buddy. What would you say your name was again? <laughs> I'm going to spare you looking at this all the time. By the way, this thing on its own is about seven and a half feet tall. There are like about 10 NBA players that are that tall. We're not talking, like, so extreme that it's impossible to ever come to grasp with this. This, this, really, this event really happened, and it's not that far out of the realm of possibility even in our day. I mentioned that we have two boys. They're married to two absolutely great Christian girls. You heard one of them, Anukia Singh, last weekend. My first shot, really, with them at having daughters of any description and now, between the two families, we have five grandchildren, and four of them are girls. So I get to kind of do it, you know, vicariously instead of having them myself to start one. And all of them, all five of them, save for Clementine, who is not yet two, have all given their lives to the Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris used the illustration of how kids are always trying to figure out who's box, right? I, 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 you know, when he was doing that, and I was already thinking about sharing my testimony here, he was, he was talking about how, you know, the people trying to establish who's boss. Well, I guess I kind of did that a little bit here. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but. <laughs> but a few weeks ago, we talked about how kids are always trying to figure out who's boss, right? Who's the boss? Who's the boss of who and who's the boss of who? There's another important barometer for them who's the biggest, right? My dad's bigger than your dad, right? I'm bigger than you are. I mean, I, even my grandson says that. I'm bigger than you are. Any of you like fishing? I mean, that's, that's about the... Uh, I, I, oh, thank you. Thank you. There's a few of us here. I like to. And there's always two questions that come after you've been fishing. We like the first one, usually, if we've caught something, right? Did you catch something? Oh, yeah. Now comes the second integrity testing question. How big? Whoa, right? Well, you, the one that got away was huge, right? You see, I think our challenge is that we want to quantify. We want to kind of identify everything. We want to know how much, how tall, how many, how big. And what we end up doing in the process is trying to put everything into a box we can define. We want to define its dimensions. We want to know where its boundaries are. To put it bluntly, left to our own devices, we put God in a box. Let me take you through some examples in my own life where God helped me realize that I'd done just exactly that. After working for a while up in the Peace River region of Alberta, after I graduated, we were married in Calgary, and I found work there with the Department of Agriculture while waiting for at what time seemed the impossible ask to come from my aunt and uncle, who were now the owners of the family farm, uh, for them you know, to ask for us to come and take over as the fourth generation on the farm. We weren't sure if and when that would come to pass. Some of the struggle, of course, being that they were in the cult and we were not, and uh, all of this kind of like was making it very murky when I got a new view of just how big God is. My aunt and uncle, who were so opposed to our faith, I mean, you know, aggressively opposed to our faith, sent us out of the blue by mail a clipping from the Selkirk Journal asking for a response to a startup for the Christian and Mission Alliance Church in Selkirk. Like, to this day, I cannot understand it. To this day, there is no context to make that uh, something that they would do. They certainly never mentioned it again, but by my view, I just got a whole different picture of how big God is. It grew. He grew exponentially in that moment. See, he can move in the hearts of those who don't even know him. So just how big is God anyway? fast-forward now some 15 years, and I have that encounter with God while giving my testimony in front of the church. I told the pastor all about it afterwards. God said, I'm supposed to love these people. And he told me they did have an opening in the church, but they were looking for someone to lead the Christian education ministry. And he didn't think I qualified, and I knew I certainly did qualify. But I had this word from God. What was I supposed to do with it? Several months go by. Nothing really has changed, except now they have a candidate for that position. And so, I've, he's being vetted for the job, and as part of the teaching group in the church, I've been asked to be part of his assessment and his, his recommendation. I went to the pastor, and I pleaded, and I said, I can't go to this thing. I can't be part of this. Uh, I want to be excused because, and he knew, of this weird vested you know, interest I have in all this and how it plays out, but I don't understand it. I didn't think I should have the job, But it was the only one available, and despite my fervent prayers to the contrary, God and our devotions kept encouraging us on, put your foot in the water, keep going, keep going. I didn't know what to think, and so I found myself very awkwardly and uncomfortably sitting in a semicircle to discuss our recommendation of the candidate. The leader said he was going to go down the line one by one, and each one of us in turn would speak and give our recommendation. Oh, man, did I start to squirm. It was just about my turn. I'm praying to God, God, I don't know how this is going to work. You've got to get me out of this. What am I going to say? You've got to give me something. I don't know. I don't want to be disobedient to you. But if I say, no, I don't think he's the man because I think it's me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can you imagine? Place would erupt, right? What? No, I don't think so. The whole thing, right? So I'm just going, help, help. That's pretty much the response I got. Silence in return. I am still stunned by what happens next. The person next to me gives his recommendation, all positive, it's been all positive all the way down, I'm sitting right in the middle, and then it's my turn, except the leader asks the person on the other side of me, and the line progresses down, and not one of the seven people there, not one of them recognizes that I've been missed, not one of them, AT THE END OF THE MEETING, THE LEADER SIMPLY SAID, SO I GUESS WE'RE ALL AGREED ON THIS AND WE ALL WALKED OUT THE DOOR. I walked, away, I WALKED AWAY FROM THAT HOUSE WITH ONLY ONE THOUGHT IN MY MIND, FORGIVE ME, GOD, I HAD YOU IN A BOX. I THOUGHT YOU WERE BIG, BUT I KNOW NOW THAT WAS WAY TOO SMALL, WAY TOO SMALL BY FAR, BECAUSE JUST HOW BIG IS GOD? BIG ENOUGH TO MAKE ME INVISIBLE, I WAS CONVINCED convinced. How did that happen? How did nobody notice? You're bigger than I ever even imagined. The votes held the next day on this fellow. 24 hours later, we're after a Sunday service, and every group gets up and says they're totally in favor of the hire. And then uh, the lead pastor gets up representing the board of elders. And he gets up in front of everybody, and, and everybody so far has been absolutely positive, like, let's get this guy, hurry up. And then he gets up, last one to speak, and he says... We don't have a recommendation. We don't understand it. We tried to have one, but we just can't have one. We simply don't have a recommendation for or a recommendation against. Well, you can imagine. This is the leadership, right? That did erupt the meeting, and the end was no. This is only a day later, and I'm walking into our home saying, and you think I would have caught on by now? Honey, I think I shrunk God again. I think I shrunk God again. I had no idea. He just changed a sure thing, a done deal. He changed the trajectory of over 400 people's votes in an instant, in a moment. And in obedience to his call on me, I'd already agreed to rent out my grain land to a neighbor, starting on May 1st. And I wondered if I was going to be the laughing stock of the neighborhood, watching someone else come and farm my land while I sat in a rocking chair on the porch watching this happen. Like, well, God told me, well, God told me, yeah. You can imagine what my extended non-Christian family thought about all this, uh, being opposed to our faith to begin with. Months went by, and on the last Sunday night in April, I got a call at midnight from the pastor. Midnight. And he began by telling me that there had been a decision, and I could forever forget ever having a shot at the job. I was about to tell him just how thankful I was that he woke me up to tell me this. Fortunately, he kept talking when he went on to say that the most amazing thing had just happened in the meeting. For reasons they couldn't explain for after more than a year of searching, they suddenly realized they didn't need someone to lead the Christian education ministry. They needed someone who simply loved the people who cared to start the small group ministry in the church. And I would be voted on on Friday at their annual meeting. I was voted on and accepted that night. Anybody want to hazard a guess on what that day was? May 1st. May 1st. The same day, the fellow showed up to start farming my grain land. Yep. how big is God? Huge. One more of these redefining moments, I could go on and on. Fast forward once more to exactly a year ago today. Exactly a year ago today, I'm now leading my second church, also at the 10-year mark, and I've just been diagnosed with skin cancer all over my face. The cancer specialist said I had over 1,000 points of cancer all over my face. The worst case he's ever seen, he said, and he brought people in to look at me. This is what I look like. And now, this is me now. (laughs) I know you're a little far away from me right now. You're not really clear. Can't see too clear. After all that pain, I was hoping for something a little better. But apparently, God likes me the way I am. So... A 1,000 points of cancer, not a trace. One chemo treatment of six weeks, he told me that there are some who have like a dozen points of cancer and they have to go through the treatment over and over and over again. I had a 1,000, over 1,000, more than he could count. And it all went away with one treatment. God is huge. God is so big. God is so good. But let me tell you two things about that, and they involves you. Zach brought my plight to the prayer teams here, and they prayed for me, and I suspect that included many of you again, thank you. And the other thing is the weather. See, there were only two things that brought me any relief over those six weeks from the pain and itching. I couldn't even lie down. There were only two things that gave me relief in six weeks. One of them was when Jennifer read Scripture to me. And again, I don't begin to understand that, but when she would read Scripture to me, I'd fall asleep. I'd just nod off right there in the chair. And it was the only time I ever got peace was when she was reading Scripture. And then for relief... I would stand outside all day long for the coolness that came. I don't know if any of you remember the weather right now. It's probably reminding you. But last year, for the entire month of October, we had cold temperatures. It was one of the coolest months we've had on record. And I would stand outside literally all day. And for me, it was a huge answer to prayer. It was a godsend. I'm convinced that God shaped the weather so that, you know, all of you would have to endure it. But I would love it. Just how big is God? honestly, big enough to move heaven and earth just for one of his own. There's a word for a process that this is by which human beings come to perceive and declare the vastness, the worthiness, the awesomeness, the strength of God. There's a word for it. It's called worship. It's worship. See, worship is seeing God for who he really is and acknowledging it with your voice. And this is why it's so important to us how do you how you view God is going to affect how you approach him how you view God is going to affect every part of your life tomorrow morning when you wake up and you've got the little God syndrome you're going to live in a constant state of fear and anxiety and misery because you know what everything depends on you Your mood, your faith, your courage, your generosity, your security, even, frankly, the view of yourself that you have is going to be governed by your circumstance. But I ask you, if a giant, limitless God loves you boundlessly, what difference does it really make what circumstances you're under? What Goliaths you might face? Live with a big God. And you will live a life of risky faith and fearless obedience and awestruck worship and passionate evangelism. So just how big is your God? Last week, Pastor Chris talked about God getting Moses' attention with the burning bush so that Moses would get the message. Moses finally grasps what the message is, the concept at least, and then he's concerned that the children of Israel are going to have doubts about him bringing the message. And so he asks God how he should respond if they ask him who sent him. He's asking God to give him a definition. He's asking God, give me a succinct one sentence definition. Of who you are so i can verify the source and you can you know know that the answer the the, what i'm giving is coming from him and you have to love the answer that god gives many of you are hearing in your head right now how would you define god you walk out of here you get out your car you're stopping somewhere today and someone walks up to you and says do you know god yeah well who is he define him for me you know i suspect you'll run out of words pretty quick Because God is so much more than you're going to come up with, right? But now this isn't us asking each other, how big is God? Who's God? This is Moses asking God, and God's going to answer. What's he going to tell Moses? He says to tell them, I am. Just tell them, I am, sent you. Isn't that great? How perfect of that is, is that in scope? Think about it. You name anything right and good, I am. I am, I am grace, I am mercy, I am justice, I am truth, I am joy, I am love, and a whole bunch more, right? I am, I am, I am. It covers it. How big is God? So big that He can hold the entire universe in the palm of His hand. So big He created everything that we've ever come in contact with with a spoken word. (coughs) <coughs> pray for me, the voice is not going to make it to the fourth Service. So big he created everything by a word from his mouth. Not, you know, not a whole lot of manufacturing, and oh my goodness, it's going to be hard work. Just a word, and it all came to be. And he sustains it. Have you ever thought about that? He's still sustaining it without any effort or stress at all. So big that he was able to place all the fullness of himself in a baby born to poverty-stricken parents in a manger. How big is God? So big that in a word from him, storms cease, and winds die down, and fish are multiplied, and the lame leap, and the blind see, and demons and death lose their grip on us. So big that when Jesus went to the cross, the entire universe held its breath, and time stopped, and history was suspended, and reconciliation with a holy God became possible. Thank you, God. So big that the grave could not hold him. And after three days, the stone rolled away and Jesus walked out and the guards started running and the priest started running and the evil one has been running ever since. So big that he has numbered all the hairs on your head and the ones you've lost as well. And every tear you've ever cried and every breath you've ever inhaled and every word you've ever spoken and every dream and hope you've ever cherished. So big that he's surrounding you right now where you sit. He'd be with you through the rest of this day and overnight and through the day again when you wake up tomorrow. So big that if you choose to be one of his children, he will put a shield around you from this moment until that time when you are living forever with him. That's how big God is. See, from God's perspective, this is not the story of David and the giant Goliath. This is the story of David and the dwarf, right? For Goliath, compared to God, is like this teeny, weeny, tiny, little... Nope, can't see him. Sorry. Sorry. So small. You see, but you and I, we tend to focus on our Goliaths because Goliaths are so easy to see. You see it, you can name it cancer, broken relationship, financial calamity, you name it. And the bigger it gets, the more we obsess about it. But the question is not can you see your giant? The real question this morning is can you see your God? Can you see your God and how big and awesome and mighty and glorious he is? Can you see him? So I want to ask you, because I know God is still in the business of delivering average Davids like you and I from giant Goliaths, and I don't know how big your or what your Goliath is, but I'll guarantee you this, God is bigger than it. I want to ask you to commit right now this week that you will live to truly magnify God. Have you ever thought about like magnifying God? We can't make God bigger. We can't sort of just ex- make God bigger, but we can expand our view of him. We can get a bigger picture of just who God is and worship him all the more because of it. Enlarge your view of just how big and strong and mighty he is and discover that in tr- in truth with God, all things are possible. I guess, you know what? This is the only time really when we get to say this with certainty. Our dad, our father, is bigger than anyone else's. Psalm 34.3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Would you stand? Let's do that.